my goodness. You know what? Right now in your life, you are on a path. You're going somewhere. It might not feel like you're going anywhere. But if you don't have vision for where you're trying to go, you will not get to where you are trying to go. Science. Now, I know that um, I, I'm suffering a little jealousy right now because my pastor and his family just got to go to Disney World where all the magic lives. Now, if Scott got up every day and just prayed and prayed and prayed, God, take me to Disney World. But he doesn't get on an airplane or he doesn't get on 75. He is not going to Orlando, okay? If he, if he doesn't make the sacrifice to get there, it doesn't matter how much he wants it, he's not going to make it and he's not going to fly the Millennium Falcon, folks. <laughs> this is tragedy. But a few days ago, like one of the worst things that happens for any of my fellow blind people who are in the room, I, I get this special like polish on my glasses because if I didn't, they'd be about as thick as my fist, okay? They're just ridiculous. And I woke up in the morning and somehow I lost my glasses. They had fallen off the nightstand and my wife was gone, who is the magnificent finder of all things. And I had a nine-year-old daughter. And if you, know, if you have kids, you know that they can't find anything. They, they, you send them to get it, they won't. They just won't. So Anna and I are like all over and we're trying to find daddy's glasses. And it, it strikes me like I have an old pair of glasses that I kept in the trunk of my car in case anything wild happened and I needed to be able to drive somewhere. So I go and I get into the trunk and my, I have like these special prisms in my glasses. Like I said, it's a whole situation up here. And my right eye, like as soon as I put on the thing that used to give me vision was just like, no, ah, and sort of freaking out. So I'm like squinting around and I found them and my glasses were in the bed frame. They'd fallen off and they got like in this one little magical place. But if I hadn't gone back to my old vision, you track with me here? If I hadn't gone back to my old vision, I wouldn't have been able to find my new. I had to step back in order to go forward again. And today, I'm going to talk to you a bit about, I believe that every single one of you has a call and a purpose in your life from God. And I want to talk about how we find that together today. But to do that, we got to take our glasses. we got to wipe off the crud from the past and we got to walk forward together. And uh, let's, let's pray together that God speaks to us today. Father in heaven, how deeply we long for your presence, for you to win today, for you to bring us in and to bring some clarity into us today. Uh, we love you, Jesus, and we want to be closer to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, in the King James Version, that's right, I'm going to get real Baptist and go to the King Jimmy for a second. But in the King James Version, it says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, the, the original word that's used there is the word kazone. And I miss carbs so much. I, the first time I heard that, I'm like, calzones? Oh, my sweet babies, where are you? I know they're out there. Oh my gosh, I just love those little pastries filled with meat and happiness. The, the, but the word cuzone there, the word cuzone, I hope I didn't make any of you sin with lust. But the word cuzone there uh, uh, means a dream, a revelation, a vision. In fact, it also, it, it means health. It's this huge word. And it's saying where there's a lack of that, people perish. And it's not talking about physical death. 
it's talking about the way that a marriage can die. Have you, you ever seen a, a marriage where they're, they're married, but there's no vision in their life. There's no life in their marriage. There's no love in their marriage. It's just two people who are good roommates. Where there is no vision, there's death there. It's talking about how your hopes can die, your aspirations, your emotions can die. And a lot of people, they're just like the living dead out there. They're walking around, but they're dead inside. They're alive, but dead. And maybe all that's missing is a God dream, something deep inside, something that God has, has maybe shown you. And I'm going to show you how to get that today, or at least do my best. Proverbs 29, 18 in the New International Version says it this way, where there is no revelation People cast off restraint. Where there's no revelation, people get a big case of the who cares. Or it doesn't really matter. So the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. A wise person is somebody that realizes that all of life is connected. That what you do today is definitely going to impact your tomorrow. And a fool is someone who knows that and doesn't care. They don't do anything about it. They know no matter what, you eat that sandwich today and that might be the best burger of your life, baby, but it's going to hit you tomorrow. Here it comes. The difference between a wise person and a foolish person. They're the person that casts off restraint. But I, I just, if I could give you one thing to walk away with this morning, it would be this. That you were created for significance and not just for survival. And a lot of us, we've been in survival mode. We've been just trying to get through the day. We were just trying to make it. And you know what? I understand it. Sometimes there is a season where it's just like, I'm trying to get out of bed today and I'm trying to make it. This past spring was one of the toughest seasons of our life as a family. I wouldn't say the toughest because, man, just weird junk just keeps happening to my wife. But she had a stroke at 39 years old. A healthy person. She was not taking any tips from me. But she was a healthy person. And I got to tell you, when, when we found out stroke, not bad migraine, I prayed over my wife, which freaked out my mother-in-law because I was touching her forehead. My mother-in-law grew up as a good Catholic girl, and she's like, giving my daughter last rites. But I didn't have a white collar, so it's not how I roll. And I prayed, and I prayed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, I ask you to bring healing upon my wife and I said to her, we have faced harder and stronger times than this, and we will go forward together. And I, there was a piece of my heart that said, I'm saying goodbye right now. But not because I just had faith, but because I have vision for what the Lord is going to do through our family. I had confidence. So there was no perishing of our faith in that moment. You see, faith is not just believing in things that, uh, that are unseen. Faith is not just like, well, I just kind of hope, let's take a step in the dark together. Faith is the activity upon your belief. Faith is the action that you take in your life. If there is no activity, there is no faith. It is not just like the state of being that you just sit in it, like you're just let it waft onto you, like, oh, I just believe today. It doesn't work that way. Faith is you actually going out and taking steps. And I had to take a step of letting go in that moment. And I got to tell you, it was terrible, but it wasn't the first time because she had lung cancer before that. Never smoked a day in her life unless she was trying to be sassy one time when she was a 17-year-old to impress the kids at Eisenhower. But other than that, there was nothing. And who cared if she had? I will not shame someone because they struggled with cancer. She had cancer too. 
And before that, she decided to fall. And by decide, I mean the thing broke. She was on a deck and she fell 15 feet and broke her back on brick stairs. But when you have a vision, when you fall, you get back up. When you have a vision, you know that cancer is not the end because it does not own you. When you have a vision to go forward, there is nothing that will strike down a brain because you know that God is the author and perfecter of life who numbers our days. When you have a vision, my friend, there is no way that you drop your faith. In fact, I would say that maybe when you have a vision now, it's like the, if you've ever been on a boat and the engine carries you forward and when the seas get rough and time gets rough and you run out of gas, the vision is what carries you forward when you want to stop because you know where you've got to go. You know. I love the way that the message translates it. Have you ever heard of the message translation of the Bible? It was written by uh, Eugene Peterson, who was a scholar who would study the original language. And as a pastor, he would spend half of his time, he said, I'm reading the Bible and then having to explain it. So I wrote a version that I didn't have to explain called The Message. I wouldn't use it for my verse-by-verse study, but it's a great devotional book. And, and, and here's how he gives Proverbs 29, 18. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most Bless. So I have a simple goal today, and what I want to get you to is a place where you're dreaming again, or maybe for the first time. The word dream that's used there and the word health, they're so close together in the Hebrew that some of the translators, they didn't even know which word to put in there when they were trying to put it into English for us. Like dreams and health are synonymous. And I want you to think about that for a moment. If you want to get healthy again in your soul, Or your marriage could get healthy if your marriage had a vision. Your life could get healthy if your life had a vision. Uh, I love it what it says in Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. When your mouth opens, does it look anything like a joyful mouth right now? Or are you the one? That is just like I can be sometimes where you know how to bring a room down because you've got drama to work out. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus tells us. My friend, I, like, I, I know that we can have dreams or we can have fantasies. Like, I wanted to be thinner. People who asked me what my weight loss goal was, and I said, less. Just, I just want less. What kind of, what kind of body do you want to have? A dad bod. That's what I want. I want the guy who let it go after high school, not whatever I was turning into, all right? Like, I wanted that, the freshman 15, baby. That's what I wanted, okay? That was my goal. Now, that's not a vision. It's a good thing to get healthy. And let me tell you something. You don't lose 110 stinking pounds just kind of hoping things will get back. You got to put the sandwich down, son. And it's been hard. Oh, my goodness. But today... I, you know what I did? This is, this is a goal for me. Instead of just measuring in pounds was this shirt right here. It's a little out of style and it belongs at Easter, but I don't care. It got, it got a good spot in my closet. So I was just like looking at that thing every day. Like I'm wearing a 6X shirt and busting out of that sucker. But I'm looking at this, which is not, you don't get to know my size right now. Less, okay. 
And I just looked at that shirt and I was like, I'm coming for you. And when I put the shirt on, the sleeves didn't fit and I could get it to like right here. Like, you guys got any clothes left like that? You're like, mm, oh, and I'm just like offending it, trying to get it on. <laughs> but I made it a goal and goals are good. They're healthy things. You should have some goals. Put a checklist down. But it's not the same as a vision from God. A weight loss goal doesn't give me confidence when I'm about to lose everything. But a vision, a vision does. It pushes you forward because you know that even if you did die, his purpose that he put you there for continues. It's a hope that pushes you so much further forward. I will tell you that you're sitting in a room because of vision, because somewhere in the middle of Florida, who knows good things happen there besides mice. But there it is. Because God spoke to Pastor Scott and to his wife. I don't know how you convince your wife to do anything. It's got to be God that does it, right? Not your wife specifically, I'm just saying. Because when I tell... Oh my goodness, that's a meeting. When I tell my wife I want to do something crazy, the first thing I have to do is go to God and say, you tell her first. Like, it's part of the deal. Because my wife knows me and she knows I'm crazy. Now, Pastor Scott's not crazy at all. Like, but you're in here and you want to know what? You're sitting in this room and you are not the fulfillment of the vision. You're just part of it because we got places to go, people. This church has got places to go. We've got a gospel for Jesus to preach. And we want to tell every single person that drives by here every day, you got one of the busiest and most historical roads in all of Shelby Township, and we're putting up a big fat sign that says, we are here to stay to tell you about a Lord who saves. We're here to do it. This is not the fulfillment. We're not done. We got a roof. Yeah, we have vision that takes us further. Do you see the difference? So I want to tell you about five dreams that you and I can have together. The first dream, if you're taking notes, is that you could have no dream. You could have no dream. And if there is no dream, and I don't want to be like overly aggressive right now. I've tried to kind of put aggressive preacher Tom behind me. But if you have no dream, honestly, you may have no God. Oh, that was so uncomfortable to say. But because here's, here's the deal. Maybe you have no God or perhaps you don't have faith in him because there's nothing risky to hand him. Sometimes, my friends, to hear the Lord's voice, and I'm not talking about the audible Charlton Heston God, okay? But sometimes to hear the Lord's voice, you need to turn down the volume of the world. Man, the radio's got to come off. The headphones got to come out of your ears. Netflix has just got to be set aside. It's there all the time. Man, Disney Plus came back and I'm like, came out and I'm like, I can have Star Wars all the time. <laughs> I had to be someone's, but no. I, sometimes it's just got to be turned off. You gotta, if you want to hear something, you got to be listening, amen? If you want to hear something, you got to be listening. I love what it says in Jeremiah 33, 3. That's a very sad book. If you deal with depression, don't read, be reading Jeremiah. They called him the weeping prophet. Okay? But this is what happens in the middle of that book. He says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God is begging us to get closer to him in prayer. When I was single, if a girl would have walked up and given me attention, therefore I would have been in love with her because a girl gave me attention. But if a girl said to me, call me, I would have called her. And the Lord is saying to you now, 
call me and I will answer. This is a God who is begging for a relationship with you and I. He's begging for us. Call me. Don't worry about whether or not I will. Call me. Don't be freaking out and wondering, maybe God will, maybe God won't. Just call me. Quit talking about me and get me in there, man. God is begging us to get as close to him. Second one, I want to keep moving. The second kind of dream we can have is a wrong dream. And let me, let me make this really clear. It may be good, but it may not be God. I love what it says in Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task and the Lord Jesus has given me. So when I say wrong dream, I'm not just talking about a bad dream or even a sinful dream. It may be good. It's just not of God. Maybe you've allowed yourself to dream about something that only the earthly pursuits are in it. And there's just nothing connected to God. Now, God doesn't mind you pursuing things. I'm not saying that, okay? I, there's, I, I think that's totally fine. We see that all over the scriptures. But you have to hear this, that God has so much more for you. And I want you to experience the joy of knowing that you're a part of something that God is doing here on earth for everyone. He's on the move. So how do you get to that kind of place? What I mean, I, I mean, where I have a God dream, I don't know how anyone else to say it to get there, but it's to fully surrender your life to Jesus. Fully surrender. And what I mean by that is to say, God, you can have my life. You can have my things. You can have my possessions. God, use my car. And you're like, I don't have a good car. I, I wonder if the model of car, I used to have a car like this. The brand model was made it here. I got here, didn't I? Like, that's the kind of car I got. And just saying, God, man, if you, you want to use that, it's yours. Everything that I have is yours. God, use my car, use my house. I got a room. It's a guest room. I don't have any guests. God, send it, whatever you want. I want to keep moving, though. The third kind of dream that you could have is a stale dream. Man, you used to have a fire inside of you, and it's just not coming back. You're just like, eh, that was kind of a thing that I had in my youth where, you know, I saw the world rose-colored glasses. I thought all things were possible, and, you know, I got older. I got in debt. I got a job, and I just wanted to make it. I just want a good job. I want to provide security. Nothing is secure if you're gone, and especially if you're gone already. You might be walking around, but there's death inside of you. I will tell you that stale things kill. And as far as getting it back, I can just say this. You can't casually go back. You can't casually clean off your glasses and just kind of pray, like, God, please clean my glasses. It doesn't work that way. I mean, literally, glasses don't work that way. I hope you know that. Like, you got to take them off. You got to take action. And I, and I will tell you this. Prayer and fasting really works. Prayer and fasting really works. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. You got to get to work. And fasting just seems to be powerful. A, a saint that I, I really love came up to me after the first service, and he said, here's, here's what I did to start fasting when I wanted to do it the first in my life. Because I got to tell you, fasting does not sound like fun, does it? Mm -mm. no science it's terrible okay but here's what he said and how to start you finish dinner one day and you say from this dinner to the next nothing God because I want to hear from you 
And then maybe you've got to do it a couple of times because the first time you're just going to be thinking about the fact like, I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I can't eat, I can't eat. Where did all the sandwiches go? Like, oh, give my kingdom for a mint. You know, you'd, you'd have that in you. And maybe you do it a couple of times so that by the next time, it's not about the activity that you are trying to partake of, but about the revelation you are trying to receive. And we can get there together. But prayer in fasting works. It burned at one point, but it's stale now. It's old and lost, and you can't quite see it anymore. The fourth kind of dream is a vague dream. You have kind of a general idea. Maybe some, some folks I talk to, they're like, I just really feel called you know, to work in missions, but I don't really know what that means. You just haven't taken the time to write it down. You wouldn't even know where to start. Well, it starts with a pen in your hand or a keyboard beneath your fingertips, and you get to work. I remember I was talking to somebody, and we were sitting in a coffee shop, and they said, you know, I just have a dream of starting a Christian coffee shop someday. I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know if beans can give their lives to Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's how that works. A Christian coffee shop, what does that mean? But I was being playful, and I could be a sarcastic person at, at certain moments. But I was asking, and I said, okay, so... What kind of coffee would you get? Now, we, we are caffeinated people. Like, if you want to talk roasts with us, I want to know what kind of brew you're serving. Are you going to do the cold nitro brew? Where are you going to get it from? Are you going to get it from South America, Colombian, because you like a smokier blend? Are you going to get it from Kenya? Like, I got to know what you're going to do. And she said, oh, I haven't really thought about that yet. Okay. What location are you hoping to start it in? What kind of square footage are you talking about? What kind of vibe do you want? Are you want people to stay there all day? Are you going to have free Wi-Fi? What's your meg load up speed going to be and the download speed going to be? I don't know. Are you going to have live music? I don't know. What's the flooring going to be? I don't know. Are human beings welcome in there? I don't know. That's not a dream. That's a fantasy. That's a fantasy. She had to do the work. And if there was a vision there, it was worth fighting for to do the work. You know what the Bible says about writing things down? To write it down. It literally says it in Habakkuk 2 too. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Literally, write it down. Do the work. I heard a story of a pastor, uh, a young guy who said to uh, a large uh, a person who started one of the largest churches in the South, and he goes up and he says, Pastor Perry, Pastor Perry, God has given me a vision to plant a church. And the pastor responds and he says, well, tell me about it, man. What, what's, the, what's it going to look like? And he says, it's going to look like your church. And you know what he says? That's not a vision. That is inspiration. I may have inspired you towards that. This may have inspired you. But if God hasn't told you what it's looked like, it's not a vision. Go home. Get to work. Stop copying my highlight reels to try to figure out what your vision is. And that's what we do, man. We're on Pinterest every day, some of us. I can't throw a party without checking it first. And I'm just like trying to figure out like what kind of wine cork do I need to make this table magical? <laughs> you guys can supply the wine corks, you sinners. I... <laughs> because I want to be inspired, I don't want to do the actual work of putting pen to paper and figuring it out. Yeah, we, we figured it out, man. It's the generation that we don't need to know anything. We can just Google it. The thing about a vision of a dream is that you have to realize that there's a difference between seeing something and just talking about it, just wanting it, and it never gets get frapped. You have to do the work. Write the vision. Make it plain. Make it plain. Get it out. You've got to do the work. The fifth dream that I want to talk to you about is a God dream. 
And a God dream is God honoring. A God dream is God honoring. So I, I hope that you know this, but there, even for Christians, there are two judgments that I believe happens because they're in the scriptures. There are two judgments. Some Christians don't know this. They think, you know, you just go to heaven and that's it. Do you accept Jesus or not? Yes, baby, you're in, let's go. And that's one. And, and, and to be honest, it's, it's a judgment that all of us are, are, are gonna face when we accept Christ. It's called the great white throne of judgment. It's the judgment that you've entered heaven because Jesus paid for your sins and you decided to accept Jesus. But you know what hell is, by the way? Hell is not a place that God sends people that he's mad at. Hell is just the place of people that pay for their own sins. But they don't have to. Come on. We started a church to tell people about it. You understand that, that that's what judgment. But so many Christians, we don't realize that there's another judgment. And after that judgment's the Christian judgment, great white throne. It's a judgment that doesn't deter, determine your external existence. It determines what your external existence is like. Because it's a reward judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where he says, okay, well, welcome in. Oh, I love you so much. I'm so glad that you're here. And then he says, hey, I gave you all of this. What'd you do with it? I gave you the most powerful communication system that any generation has ever heard of in a time when people were actually listening. I gave you a platform on Facebook. You had 80 friends who would listen and look at your funny memes. What'd you do with it? Okay, well, I gave you podcasts, I gave you training, I gave you things that no other generation would have. I gave you your next door neighbor. Did you do anything with it? And I believe the Lord is going to say, what'd you do? And we all long and dream for, you know, well done, good and faithful servants. We, we long for that, but I genuinely believe that we are just desperate for wanting to experience the Lord for the first time. And he is just saying, I have resourced you. And what did you do? I gave you a dream, and you pursued safety. Come on. You didn't think I had you? See, I believe that the dream that he gives us is a culture defying that has, it's something that gives you the courage to even stand against injustices on earth and say, not on our watch, we're not going to allow this happening. A culture defying dream, a heaven impacting dream that we're going to go out and we're going to plunder hell and we're going to populate heaven. A dream that is actually of God. And, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, Irfan, one of our awesome missionaries, he gave us a quote. It's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. That's a beautiful quote. And I think it actually cuts two ways. Being humble enough to not be glorified and to be humble enough to know that you have to do what you can't do alone. See, credit can be validation. Yeah, it can be a title. Being heard at the level that you expect or that you and I believe that we have earned. But admitting that you can't just do it on your own, that you can't carry the burden, that you have to let go, that you have to empower, that you have to trust. You see, I think that often, and I battle with this, that arrogance and anxiety is so much more deeply connected than we realize because we're worried because we can't control it. And how dare we assume that we can control how anything could ever look like when it's his? How dare we forget that he has the whole world in his hands? You see, the vision if it's from him, you let him carry it out and carry you to the finish line. 
I, I asked this theological question here that I, I want you to consider. It was, who was the first to ever worship God? Worship being magnifying the Lord and saying who God is, the great and mighty one, king above all kings. And I mean, you think about it, you're like, well, maybe it was Adam and Eve. It's a solid guess, solid guess. Uh, maybe it was the angels, maybe. Maybe you want to get dark and cryptic and say, was it the devil? You're like, I believe that the first, first worshiper was God himself. Because when he says, I am, it's true. And he's right. Like, at that point, like, shouldn't God be humble? He doesn't have to be. He's the one person who can be full of himself and be, like, absolutely accurate. God's highest priority, my friends, is himself. And if he's going to give you a vision, but it doesn't require him, how far out of character is that? If he's going to give you something to glorify him, him requires himself to be there. He wants the credit. He wants the life. And if you can do it without him, then it's probably not of him. If you can do it without him, it's probably not of him. And let me tell you something. You cannot carry yourself when everything falls apart. And you, creative and full of imagination though you may be, are nothing compared to the creator of all things. But he invites you in. But we have to actually listen. We have to listen to him. I want to take you to how Jesus took care of this. I want you to to go with me to Mark chapter 8. And if you have your Bible, this is a great verse to mark up. But if not, it'll be on the screens. I'm going to go with Mark 8, 22. They came to Bethsaida. This is Jesus and his disciples. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. I love it that they're going to Jesus and they're telling him how to do his job. Touch him. You ever pray that way? I pray that way all the time. God, if you would just, and then I give God the process of how I would like my prayer responded to, right? I'm a terrible sideline coach to God. (laughs) I don't know how he responds with that. I'm so glad he's merciful and gracious to us, but sweet mercy, I think he can figure it out. Like Jesus, you put your eyes on him. I love how Jesus handles this. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. Now, if you're blind, I assume that there's some comfort in being familiar with surroundings and being able to smell and detect. He takes them as far away from home as possible. Fascinating that he's touched him and led him. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, I guess that counts as touching, he put his hands on him. Isn't that crazy? Jesus, would you touch him? <laughs> oh. <sighs> so I guess that counts. Yeah, I'll I touch him. What if he would have done like, you know, like a boink, you know, like... Jesus, he can do whatever he wants. Now, I critique Jesus answering my prayers all the time. That's not how I asked you to do it, okay? (laughs) But he's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to answer or he's not. But regardless, he spits on the ground. Total crazy move that he pulls. And he turns it in the mud and he whaps it in the guy's eyes. I don't know if he really whapped him. It doesn't really say that here, but (laughs) my imagination wander. And he put his hands on him and Jesus asked and he said, do you see anything? Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. 
how does he know what a tree looks like? And here's what I think. How does he know what a tree looks like? It's because he probably used to have vision. I think he has something to compare. They look like trees walking around. And then my two favorite words from this story show up, and it's two words that I want you to hear today with all of my heart because I need to hear them. I used to have vision. I felt it vaguely coming back, kind of like trees. The first two words, once more, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and he saw everything clearly. Some of us need a once more. Some of us need a once more so badly where I can see it again. Once more, so you know that Jesus, Jesus who had the ability to heal him perfectly, prayed for the guy the second time. And I think those are some of the most consequential words in the story because God is saying, I'm willing. Even though you had a vision and you lost a vision, I'm ready. I'm ready to give you a once more kind of experience. And specifically, and especially for some of us that have been in church for a long time and even your church experience may have grown scale, he's a once more kind of God. But to see again, we've got to surrender now. It's time, my friends. It's time. Aren't you tired? Aren't you? I mean, if you've got a vision in your life, something the Lord has given you special, and I believe he has created you for a unique purpose, and you've got in your hands whatever he wants to do. We know that whenever God called Moses forward and he said, I want you to set the people of Egypt free, and Moses was like, I can't, I can't speak. Well, there's a great book about it called Here I Am, Lord, Send Aaron. Like, there's this great moment, and God says to him, well, what is in your hand? What's in your hand right now, my friends? It is time for you to get up. It is time for you to see again, but it does not get there on your own power. And Dorothy clicking your heels together won't get you to Kansas. If you want to see again, you've got to open your eyes and say, God, you do it your way. Some of you need to fast today. No lunch after church for you. It's time. It's time now. You don't need the perfect process. It's crazy how we can be when it's time to get healthy. I know this from experience. Instead of me going outside and running, I'm Googling what the perfect running shoes are. My friend, you don't need to read an article about fasting. Don't eat for a day, all right? Start praying. It's time for us to get on the move. And let me tell you something. God is actively moving in this world, and he is conquering it in his name. And he says, are you in? Are you in? Because I've given you all the tools that you need right now. You will make a difference in my name if you make my name the highest priority. It's time. Your faith is not you just believing in what you cannot see, but it is you out there putting your hands on eyes and saying, Jesus can heal you. It is making his name known, not your beliefs, tweaked and stronger, my friends. It's time to surrender. And as our band comes up now to lead us in a moment, your job in this moment is not to stand up and sing the words, but if you want to, sing. But right now, I want you and I starting together and saying, God, what do you have to say? I lay it all down for you. Take it all, leave it all, whatever it takes. The most dangerous prayer that has ever been prayed is, God, do whatever it takes to get me closer to you. The most dangerous prayer you will ever pray is, God, do whatever it takes to get closer to you.
God, do whatever it takes to bring me into you. Where emotions fail, where heart breaks, where friendships betray, give me vision for your future. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen.